Reflections on Universal Well-Being. May I abide in well-being, in freedom from affliction, in freedom from hostility, in freedom from ill-will, in freedom from anxiety, and may I maintain well-being in myself. May everyone abide in well-being, in freedom from hostility, in freedom from ill-will, in freedom from anxiety, and may they maintain well-being in themselves. 
May all beings be released from all suffering and may they not be parted from the good fortune have attained when they act upon intention. All beings are the owners of their action and inherit its results. Their future is born from such action, companion to such action, and its results will be their home. All actions with intention, be they skillful or harmful, of such acts they will be the heirs.
So, um, so listening to you all and receiving these notes, uh, certain things seem apparent. One is that some of you can't hear me. <laughs> so, get the fog on out. Um, and... Uh, of course, uh, also that, uh, you know, no matter what, what is said, there's always questions and topics. And uh, as I'm always, uh, you know, just trying to feel out what's helpful in, in presenting for your reflection. And I've heard there's quite a range of uh, experiences people have. Um, so something that will cover everyone is perhaps not uh, going to be the case. So I thought I'd just look at a question today which is uh, one of the questions from yesterday actually that I didn't get around to because it's a very large question um, this one is all about developing wisdom in and through meditation practice and in our lives so I guess we're alive when we meditate but uh, <laughs> I get the point <laughs> so this is always a useful wisdom is a very broad uh, term, very broad coverage. And this is where, uh, in my sense, there's a huge uh, wisdom wave in the Buddha. You know, it brings up a lot of... Uh, one can certainly feel a sense of admiration and devotion for, for many teachers and so forth. But uh, when one looks at the, the Buddha's exceptionally articulate in being able to define things from many angles and this is this is the Buddha wisdom it's the ability to describe and to define and to differentiate you know, you know this is this this is that this fits with that this works with this and uh, when this arises that arises when this doesn't happen that doesn't happen so it's able to analyze or witness the whole of the hologram of our experience and recognize how the dynamics work how the dynamics work, which is what most of us are struggling with, you know. Yeah. You know. How much embodiment is necessary, you know. So you can you kind of emphasize body, but then you sometimes miss the analytical consciousness. Too much analysis, you miss the heart. Too much heart, you miss the body. <laughs> you know, you can get so uh, almost skinless in terms of one's emotional processes, really into that, and then what is really needed, just a simple body lump structure to find something to hold. So it's this uh, uh, recognition that we, the whole experience is uh, holog- like a holistic, and it's always a matter of finding the balances and trying to bring together, whereas most of our tendency is to go into one particular place and often the, the irony of it is, or the sadness of it, is what we tend to go into is our afflicted place. Because <laughs> that's the bit that's calling, saying, help, help. And that's the one that pulls you in. And uh, there's a, 
this is kind of, you know, pull of it into fixing, helping this pain, physical pain, emotional pain, psychological pain, you know, life pain, and it's pulling us into it, yeah, because it's it's it really wants to be cured, it wants to be helped, and uh, yeah. And the wise thing, which is a difficult thing, is don't go into it. <laughs> it's not a matter of denying it, but realizing that if, if you go into the pain, purely into it per se, then you lose touch with the big picture. You lose touch with the, the wholeness. You go into the fragment, the splint, the split, the wound, and you lose touch with the healthy flesh, you could say, putting it that way. And then what happens is, as your attention goes into that, the power of attention, the energy of attention, reduplicates. The energy, the attention is a strengthening quality. What you put attention on will heighten and energize it, bring more power into it, so if you go into pain with attention, you, the, there's a, it's very likely the attention by itself will heighten that. It will make it more acute. Mm-hmm. This is why a lot of the wisdom is just learning how to flex attention, how to maintain sometimes the broad focus rather than that tunneling in that we tend to do. Our minds tend to do. When I've got a splinter in my finger, there's only one part of my body that's there. <laughs> I am the splinter. I am the splinter. You know, the rest of it, the feet, the ears, gone. It's that thing there. You know, you know. is it like that? I'm exaggerating a little bit. The one part screams for attention and it really becomes heightened. And yeah, you know, you've got to get that splinter out of your finger. But the, the, the answer doesn't come from the wound. The cry, the cry of help comes from the wound, but the answer doesn't come from the wound. Right? You know? That's why you often go to a doctor. Somebody who's not wounded says, well, okay, they're sympathetic, but they're not feeling it. They're not drawn into it. And in fact, they shouldn't get drawn into it. They stay in... You know that sense of differentiation. So, okay, this is the this is the topic. This is the problem. This is the issue. Okay, I think I can do this. And they pull it out. Mm-hmm. Now, that's actually the wisdom faculty is that which differentiates, which is able to say that's there. You know that pain, that sorrow, that distress, that physical pain, that whatever that's there. Not that I'm not sympathetic to it, but it's definitely there, rather than I am, I am the pain, I am this, help, what can I do about it? Which is, you know, I'm not going to parody that, that is definitely the experience. Of I am the pain, help, what can I do about it? And then there's that feeling of, oi, 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 you know? <laughs> because in that, suddenly, that, Particular piece becomes the becomes the holistic piece. We just become that, and we become all of the energies that 
resist it, fight with it, struggle it, feel overwhelmed, feel helpless in it, look out, look, there's nobody else here, and so forth. We, all that comes up in it. it, it it's called papancha, it proliferates itself, it goes viral. Hmm. Yeah. So this is something you want to really uh, understand, uh, be wise about. Uh, and there's a, there's, a, there's a real kind of, sounds a bit hard, you know, but it's that sense, of, it's not unsympathetic, but you don't want to go into it. doesn't mean you ignore it or deny it. Sometimes it is actually the wise thing to say, this is too much put it to one side for now, you know, you can, like, most of you are capable of doing that with your bodies, you know, I'm going to stand up, I'm going to get a nice soft chair, I'm going to lie down, you know, <laughs> so much you can take, and then it's just stressing and reduplicating, yeah, but then it can be a sense of physical pain that we can say, okay, I can, I can objectify that, I can see it, and one of the skills, it's funny I didn't talk about dealing with pain on night one, didn't it? It takes me five days to get round to it. <laughs> I was spieling on about the laws of the cosmos. <laughs> so what do you do with that stuff, huh? <laughs> so, you know, the... the uh, the real, the, a, the real essence of the Buddha's teaching, the wisdom teaching is the Four Noble Truths. We're talking at suffering, stress, unsatisfactoriness, incompleteness, loss, aloneness, vulnerability, you know, whatever you want to put in that. It's a big bag. Um, yeah. Yeah. The suffering industry is booming. <laughs> it's, it's a big bag. But it's that, uh, and then the wisdom is the is the only faculty that that really um, resolves that. It doesn't work on its own, but it's the primary factor that resolves it. We call it so that you know there are different kinds of wisdom. The highest, what's called the most developed form of wisdom is called vipassana, insight wisdom, which is the insight that becomes possible and available when we have built up resources to really understand the nature of pain as a, as a vortex, as a stuck vortex pattern I was talking about this morning, rather than as a self, rather than as something I am, and able to see or realize the causes and conditions that are continually recreating that, which are also not self, me and mine, and the dissolving of those conditions. And that's, that's, but really in, insight, purely, you know, if you take that term quite literally, or what it's pointed to, we can use it in a fairly colloquial sense of anything that causes inquiry into conditionality is insight. But the perfection of insight is, is really into um, the causal and conditioned nature of suffering and how that causes and conditions can be released or no longer created. So this is the perfection of wisdom, we might say. But the first piece I'd like to say, remind you of, you know, I say all my teaching is really just a reminder of things you must have heard and uh, 
probably deeply know and sometimes the, the pain of our lives causes us to forget it we get you know we get stunned by it so what do we do with physical pain how do you get uh, now of course you can shift around move around but basically uh as we begin to learn, body is a pain body. It's its nature. There's only three kinds of feelings you can have. Painful, pleasant, and neutral. So if you just look at that statistically, what does that break down to? <laughs> at least 33 and a third percent pain. <laughs> On average. <laughs> but the other side of it is that 66% isn't... <laughs> But that 33 and a third, when that hits, it seems to be 100%. So, for example, when you feel physical pain, what you can do, what you can try and practice with, if you're doing it through wisdom rather than, you know, some perversion or another, or confusion or willfulness, is you sort of widen your focus over that area that is painful in your leg or your knee, and you extend the painful bit and the not painful bit and you extend it as wide as possible so you can feel the places that are not painful. So it's like, that's what I call widening your attention. Hmm? doesn't mean you're losing awareness of that pain, but now you're widening your attention to include the not pain. Hmm? And you really rest your attention primarily on the not pain. Because the painful stuff, you don't need to attend. It will come. It will speak to you by itself, <laughs> as a way of making itself known. So, you, what you're doing there is like you're holding a boundary around that of the not pain, and then that. Then from there, what occurs is that the 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 quality of the pain doesn't capture, doesn't capture your attention, doesn't pull it in, doesn't capture your psychology into. I am this, you know, I am, I am overwhelmed, I can't stand it, which is what it tends to do when you, when you get focused in on it and you, you stand at the edges of that, holding, holding that. And then it's really a matter, if you want to work with this, a matter of first two, two particular th- skills. One is understanding the mental or the immaterial. You know, that is those pulls that make me feel, I can't stand this, it's not right, why is this happening to me, what can I do about it, all that agitated mental stuff, immaterial stuff, and you just keep acknowledging that, acknowledging that, widening that, acknowledging that. So, yeah, but it's this now. It's this now. It's this now. So it's just that, this is what equanimity is. Equanimity is the ability to widen over a whole span of feeling. Equanimity is primarily inclined to the feeling realm, including mental feeling. And it's the ability to widen, to hold the realm of feeling with sympathy, but without getting involved without contracting into it, without being pulled into it. It's like this now. 
It can't be any other way. There's no other way it should be than this. Now, does this cure pain? No. But it can cure suffering. It can cure suffering. Which means the difference is that instead of the the agitation and the perturbing and the feeling impacted by it and all that contracting and there can be the sense of this is the phenomenon in the body and you've used the pain to teach you something about equanimity, about widening attention and about acknowledging and releasing the psychological and the me senses that occur around that. The wound, the victim, the wounded, the, the overwhelmed, the stuck with, all that. That's, uh, yeah, which is what tends to occur with residual, me- mental, with residual pain. And uh, yeah, I've had some. Yeah, it's not that I haven't had any. And what it certainly the pain in my body, uh, as I work with it over the years, so it's been quite long term pain, quite debilitating sometimes, laid out on my back for days on end with back pain. It's taught me humility. It's taught me that I can't just push in there and have it my way. It's taught me that I, all those controlling, fix it, sort it out, this shouldn't happen to me stuff, is just suffering. (laughs) It doesn't sound like suffering, it sounds like the answer to suffering. (laughs) It sounds like that which is going to help me out of suffering, but it isn't. It's the craving and the wanting and all that. Come bringing its bringing its activities into play, and with the release of that, or the relinquishment of that humility, to say there is pain. The pain is global. The pain is universal. Everyone, every creature, every sentient creature, is in pain. But one hundred percent in pain, but. Certainly that is a feature of their lives. And with that, what occurs, certainly in my own case, occurs is something else arises quite spontaneously, strangely, and in an unbidden way, is a sense of compassion. Relinquishment of self, aloneness, stuck with this, you know, and this is a passion, compassion. And as you probably would recognize in ways, sometimes, you know, when you're having a struggle and somebody else is having a struggle and you get together and say, yeah, it's really tough, it's really tough, it's a struggle, it's a struggle, suddenly you feel better. (laughs) It's a bit like that, something like that, but on a a fuller scale. And when the suffering increases along with the sense of me, mine, it's just me, it's just mine, I am terribly this, this is my problem, I'm the only one with a, you know, sore throat, bad knee, dodgy back, broken discs, you know, whatever it is, and you look around and think, no, everybody else is all right. Yeah. 
but they're not. They're, they're sitting there thinking everybody else is all right. <laughs> so you say, put your hand up if you experience any kind of pain. <laughs> oh, it's everyone. <laughs> now, rationally, this so what, you know, but on a when you hold it with equanimity, remember equanimity is not indifference, it, it brings the primal sympathy there. It's, a, it's a, definitely one of the manifestations of primal sympathy, which is the ability just to resonate with something. And the, the first step of that, in order to resonate with it, you have to have it there. You know, you can't, it can't be you. It's like, you know, it's got to be it's got to be something that you can resonate with, rather than be. Because yeah? it's got to be some sort of, you know, sense of receiving a sympathetic impression. Well, you, if you are totally welded in that, you can't get the the sympathy with. It. That's why it's sometimes so difficult for us to feel the sympathy with ourselves. You know, meta towards spiders, dogs, other people, so forth, even, you know, stretch it a bit, even nasty people. But to myself, I think, hey, uh, uh, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of come up with a few corny old phrases, but it doesn't really work until you've been able to bring your stuff out there on the table and think, gee, I suffer a lot. Look at that one, you know. Or you, you're able to differentiate, objectify, I did that, that was pretty good. Mudita, Anamodana, you know. Uh, you know? You, you're able to differentiate something that you can get a reference to, that you can sympathize with, that you can vibrate, resonate with. So when it's all held as self, mine, this is where the, the primal sympathy can't resonate. This, this self-thing is, is the main problem, the source of not so much pain, but of suffering. So the use of wisdom is essential for the, the differentiating, the sense of that's that. And as it does, so it does that by, as I say, the process of viveka, lifting, lifting off this disengagement, not certainly not a shutting down or denial of, but just coming a little bit, off topic to get the overview and wisdom develops dependent upon this it's one of the factors that that uh, wisdom is is developed through viveka through, through this disengagement because then we can see things much more clearly you know the doctor can see the wound because you know it's it, he's not just in it but he's with it or she's with it and the difference between being in something and with something that's that's the crucial difference and for what happens to us mostly is when the pain comes up we're in it and we even somehow have the intuition that by going into it we'll find a way to solve it we'll get in there and sort it out we'll analyze we'll get right down there what's the problem here and all the time we're actually re ripping the wound open you know, making it more flared up, flaring it up. 
because if we would have could have solved it by now, we would have solved it by now by going into it. So you, you know, can happen. You go into that same thing, particularly psychological, emotional pain. We go into it again and again and again and again, thinking, hoping we can find out what this is really all about, and it just uh, you keep the wound just keeps flaring up. So what is it? The the strange paradoxical compassion is to step back. As we step back, it's like you step back into wisdom, not into indifference. That's just talking allegorically, uh, you know, metaphorically. That in other words, wisdom flourishes or is is brought is encouraged through that process. Now that's the story in meditation and in daily life. That's, that's what wisdom does. It's, it's the ability to distinguish this from that. And uh, so you, you know, ordinarily you can develop wisdom in many ways through, there's even study wisdom, which means you, you get, you're able to look at maps, understand maps of Dhamma, so it gives you overviews. It's, 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 so you learn the the ways to differentiate the different qualities and factors. Oh, that's that. That's that. So the next time you're in your process, you see, oh, that's that one. There's a, that's what intention is, you know. Yeah. That's, that's that particular energy. That's intention because you studied it. So that even that conceptual wisdom is an aspect of, the, of supports the, the, the differentiation process. But of course, what we're looking at more fully in meditation is the um, direct wisdom, which is non-conceptual. But it's rather like, uh, you know, why we listen to talks and remember things and have these terms and concepts to use. It's like learning your scales on a piano before you can really plunk, really play. You know, you've got to plunk away at it. You know, meditation exercises and so on. So the other thing you can do with physical pain to help the differentiation process is visualize it, get a visual image of it. So is it like rocks grinding you up? Is it like fire burning you up? Is it like knives slashing you to pieces? Yeah. Is it like being twisted with a rope of some kind? Is somebody cutting your leg off? Is, is it repeated? Is it thumping pain? Screwing pain? Something winding itself into you? Slashing pain? <laughs> yeah. Needling pain? Or just slow increasing pressure crushing pain? Which kind of pain would we like to have tonight? You know, we've got them all on offer. <laughs> now, this is not an exercise in masochism, actually, but it helps just, let me think, what is that? You know, I did, oh, no, 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 what, actually. Because <laughs> that, then you say, oh, it's like kind of something is tearing my leg off. <laughs> then it's up to you to really, well, actually, 
I think I'd better move my leg, you know. But if you want to practice with it, and again, there is that caveat that, of course, if you know you don't want to rip your knees and your ligaments and so on. But some kinds of pains, you know, like in your shoulders or something, you can't relieve by moving your legs. You may, in fact, just say, "Well, let's just spend a few moments, just a few moments. I can always, you know, bail out when I want to." Just imagining what it would look like. Imagining what it looked like. So in a way you kind of get into it more fully, but you're not getting into it at the feeling level. Because the visual consciousness doesn't feel things. Vision, vision, I, the, the only consciousnesses that feel have feeling associated with them are the body consciousness and the mental consciousness, the effective consciousness. Eyes, the, the visual consciousness doesn't feel the auditory consciousness doesn't feel, the olfactory, the gustatory consciousness do not have feeling associated with them. Yeah. So when you visualize something, that tends to take the pressure off the feeling because you transfer what was being felt into what is being seen and that just tends to ameliorate the, the intensity of the pain. So I've done, it, done this myself. And it, then when the intensity of the pain isn't grabbing you so much, you can see it, you also start to notice subtler, thing, subtler qualities that are there, such as one's impatience or one's ill will, or you might even um, it can say something quite profound to you. Some of it's psychosomatic, isn't it? Some of it's tissue memory you might say um, there is a not caused because of pressure in your body but there's something there you know in, in your system you know stacking hardness soft, you know uncomfortable thing and when you visualize it see it, 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 it tissue memory comes up you may get a sense of I don't know. I don't have to explain it really, but it it will can say things. Yeah. So I remember my particular pain. One of them, one of them, one of the many, uh, showed me something about my uh, unforgiving, unforgiving nature. Well, I don't say I'm not permanently unforgiving, but there was an unforgiving, unloving quality and not loving and not forgiving and not really giving quality and somehow this pain communicated that in some strange intuitive way and as soon as that my heart kind of opened and the pain disappeared went out so that you see in some ways that's a demonstration of how you know, some of this pain can transmute into compassion and release. Mm. But the important thing is that we you don't go into it. You hold it carefully. And if you can't hold it, if it keeps sucking you in, it says it's not right now. It's not, you can't do it. Just put it, try to put it to one side 
focus on you know, other parts of your body or move your body around or other places in your body which feel comfortable. And then, of course, if we're coming to psychological, emotional pain, painful memories, painful senses of oneself, you try to bring your attention back to um, even just the world of sense contact. It's a nice day, you know. <laughs> uh, and then when you see, come out of the intensity of it, you may seem to think, oh, well, you know, actually, you know, nobody's, people are pretty nice and, uh, yeah, I'm getting through, I'm okay. You, you come out of the wound, you, you also recognize your basic health. And all of us have a basic health, otherwise we certainly wouldn't be here. We'd be psychotic. You know. So there is that there. Uh, so, you know, our ability to recognize, to discriminate, to make ethical decisions, to you know, discern skillful from unskillful, um, to you know, do all the things that we're more or less taking for granted on the retreat. This is a sign of our fundamental health. You know. But of course, nobody's totally healthy. We've all got little bits that have contracted or whatever. So we go to the health. You know, and if that involves our act, coming to action, to what we're doing, to thinking it through, to remembering, so be it. You know. It's certainly a fallacy to, to feel that you've got to stay in some kind of deep, or what we seem to be deep state you know, so, you know, where you're not thinking, just feeling pain as pain. Um, no. <laughs> no. You've got to have, if you don't lift out of it, there's no wisdom there. It's just probably re, re-traumatizing. So, and the lifting out of it is almost just like op- opening your eyes and, you know, Actually, nothing in front of me is okay. Behind me is okay. Breathing out is okay. You know, and so we we come out of that. And this is a function of viveka, disengagement, and supporting of wisdom. So, wisdom is one of these uh, ten parami that I was mentioning the other day. So, on a, on an everyday life level we can develop wisdom as the as a faculty without this is prior to meditation you might say this is uh you know everyday life digging the garden wisdom going shopping wisdom you know cooking the food wisdom and it's uh mostly uh operated through this other function I've talked about, skillful attention or deep attention, wise attention, just begin to recognize where, what do I put myself into, what do I, what do I, what do I work with that causes skillful states to arise or at least causes unskillful states to decline or doesn't feed unskillful states. Yeah. So wisely one protects oneself, wisely one guards oneself, Widely, one cares for one's well-being by refraining from da 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 da, you know, and developing 
good friends, developing generosity, developing resolution, developing patience, developing things that will give us a sense of dignity and self-respect. All this is down, home, you know, basic sanity, nothing esoteric wisdom. Because <laughs> it's, um, you know, the, all these processes are sankara, that is their dynamic, their, their activities, but the nature of activities are they, they, the more you repeat them, they build up structure. So I have previously, for the sake of explanation, differentiated between structure and dynamic, as if they're two separate things. You know, structure is just the fact of the body being able to breathe. But in reality, there's only dynamic. And dynamic, so the body itself, you know, is, is dynamically arisen through reproduction through cellular growth and so forth there's nothing finally absolutely fixed and solid in the universe everything is in dynamic but some things are in a slow enough stable enough dynamic to seem to seem solid yeah now with what we do with uh skillful dynamics such as wisdom patience generosity is repeat them we run them through so many times in our daily activities they begin to acquire the quality of structure. They begin to firm up. It's like, uh, you know, you, you, it's like they crystallize, you could say. They become soft structure. They're not rigid as dogmatic ideologies, but they are, they are become innate, soft structuring for the mind. So it's very important we develop this, this sense of the, the, this supple structure that we have generated intimately in ourselves yeah. and it's, that's that's the way it goes now we can of course be encouraged and inspired to be wise, patient, generous and so forth but it isn't quite it because that by itself doesn't isn't the generation of structure that's borrowing somebody else's structure yeah. but it isn't you generating you really have to generate it yourself and that's not like you know it's your trouble you get ahead and do it it's, not, it's just the fact of it because what happens otherwise is that all structure becomes something that I've got to do I've got to be they want me to be patient he says I've got to be wise she keeps telling me to be kind you know, and so that's what happens when those dynamics feel like they're imposed rather than generated, is they become alien structures. You know, intimate. And this is certainly the case with with ethics, for example. It's a difficult thing to to cultivate, really, uh, in some ways, because a lot of ethics is what we call top-down morality. You know, like uh, you don't know why, but if you don't shut up, you're going to get a smack or something. Uh, so you haven't, you know, because you can't, you can't put it and explain. You can't figure it out. You know, so you know, a lot of it is kind of more imposed, structured around you. And uh, the idea, I guess, is that through modelling and through remembering it, you generate your own. 
but there is often for people a kind of a process as we come into maturity where we feel a lot of rebellion against structures. So I certainly, about, you know, teenage years for me, structure, you know, want to chuck it away, you know, throw it out the window. Because it's all something somebody else told me to do. When I was at school, we always had to wear school uniforms, and if you still do that, school uniforms, had a school cap, school tie. And the thing you wanted to do most was rip this uniform to pieces. <laughs> you know, so you found ways of kind of, by doing the buttons up wrong, you could be, you know, slightly rebel, or have your cap on backwards or something, or do a funny knot in your tie, anything where you could somehow just about conform with the system but put your own twist on it to show, you know, I'm doing mine. <laughs> so a lot of rebellion against structure because structure was always seen as, as alien, really, as other than that, that which constrains me rather than that which I've grown in order to cultivate and protect my well-being. Hmm. Same thing with wisdom. All the ideas, all the books, all the help, help yourself manuals, all of it, you know, me giving you talks and so forth, <laughs> all of it can be heard through that same place of, yeah, somebody else is telling me what I should be, what I should do, what I should think, how I should behave. You know, that's the way it happens, isn't it? I don't know how it's for you. Mm-hmm. And something he says, you know, but then it's really, so it has to eventually be generated, self-generated or intimately generated. So it's actually a living soft structure. And, you know, this process of, of wisely attending, you know, means you keep, you ask yourself, you know, you feel it out for yourself. Yeah, and it, some of these things are really quite simple. When you see, like, has lying feel, st- so you linger with it long enough, linger with that process of whatever we do long enough to sense the the cause, the impulse, which we perhaps didn't really notice. It just rose up, the feeling of it, and the result of it. And that that's so. If you lengthen your attention span, again, that's another aspect of widening. You, know, you lengthen your attention span to, to witness what that, the whole thing is about. That's how you get wisdom. You see, that takes me to there. This came from some blurry place, instinctual place. It's jumped out and landed there. And that's, the end, that's the result. That's what it feels like. See, it's staying long enough with something. Now, in this situation, it is boundaried enough to feel we can, you know, experience some of our unwholesome attitudes and mental states in the freedom of our own minds, you know. When nobody's going to be reading my mind for my naughty thoughts, malevolent instincts, spitefulness, jealousy, greed, craving, lust, and all that. So, well, let's have a look at it all, you know, or a little bit of it, and just, where does that go? Yeah. You know, and then widening the span, and again, the paramount quality of equanimity, say, it doesn't have to be a self. It doesn't have to be some indictment of me. 
This is just the a process. This is what aversion or jealousy or something, this is how it rises up, this is what it creates, and this is where it goes. How it creates self and other people and it comes to this place. And then we might, you know, feel, you know, if you live with this, if you die with this, if you stay in this, you know, why does that feel? So this is how you, you kind of, through, through running through some of these programs a little bit at a time, it's rather like the same thing with your, your physical pain. You witness it, you're not involved with it, and, and, uh, and then something, it's that, it's that. Now, now another um, thing I'd like to just mention in terms of the development of, of wisdom yeah, is uh, sounds strange be a little, little more stupid if you want to be wise be a little more stupid Don't have an answer. Linger a little bit longer before you come up with the response. Most of us probably pretty much know how we should be. We can do the I should be script pretty clearly. And one of those things come up, one of those phenomena come up, one of our wounded pieces come up and pretty much, pretty quick, the old should be darts right in there and tells me what I should do about it. Mostly what it does is it puts me out into my head and I come up with a little, I should do this, I should be like this. So that's quite often the response. We get away from the living place of it and we move up into Oh well, this is just, uh, you know. and the more you study the Dharma, the better you good, better you get at doing that. Oh, this is just the, you get these kind of long jargon terms. <laughs> what is needed here is more, da-da-da-da-da, you know. You have to analyze the problem and come up with the answer pretty pat, you know. So if you want to be wise, just be a little more stupid. Stay with it with that beats me. A little bit longer, pausing from the clever, wise, astute response. Just pausing, just wait on that one. Because in the pausing, staying with, not in, this is the fine balance of meeting that I've touched on before. Staying with, not in. Staying beside it, but not in it. Not fixing it, not answering it. There's a quietening, a certain relinquishment of the activities to 
fix or change or understand in the quietening and the releasing of that something emerges trust what emerges trust what emerges by itself pause listen stay with it wait trust what emerges by itself Can be just something new shifts. Something you go, oh. Something moves to a felt sense. The release of suffering is straight through the heart. You don't release it by going up into the head and understanding it. The release of suffering is straight through the heart. So that that's the bit that has to you have to be taken by that. You have to be surprised by it. You have to have not known it. So it can touch you and move through you, straight through the heart. That's the release of suffering. And then after that you think, then you, un- then you get the understanding comes after the release. Yeah. Now you may understand how to angle yourself into the holding space, you may get the skills and the understanding of how to get into that holding space. The kind of qualities of attention that are needed, you may understand that and have cultivated that. Yeah. But I would say, at the place of meeting, you don't know what to do. Yeah. But you're not worried about that. You're equanimous. And you're open to what will emerge by itself so, so that which emerges is truly not self it's not, it's not even so much what emerges which could be something very simple like well let go well you know haven't we heard that one before <laughs> you know or something shifts it's often, but it's not what, even what emerges but where it comes from it doesn't come from my conditioned understanding it comes from somewhere quite fresh, quite new, quite ungenerated, unconditioned, uncreated, unformulated. The release of suffering is through the unconditioned. It's an unconditioning. It surprises me. This is how... This is how wisdom works for release because the wisdom knows how far even it can go. As you know, this is, this is as far as it goes with, with wisdom to hold the space, to know what not to do, to pause, to let, what, let it arise, let what emerges from that careful holding space. And, uh, you know, if you just broaden the topic a little bit, you can feel this is, isn't this the case where, you know, real inventiveness and real genius comes from? You know, somebody goes, oh, that's it, you know. Eureka, the eureka moment, the light bulb flashes. 
They didn't know. They were looking at this problem and suddenly there was some, you know, and it pops up. There was a fellow who got something about benzene molecules. I've forgotten what it was. Who understood the structure of benzene from some intuitive image he'd had of snakes or something like that. Einstein got his understanding of relativity from just hearing that somebody had fallen off a roof in Berlin and while he was falling through the air, hadn't felt. He hadn't felt the pull of gravity. So the idea was that gravity was pulling you down. But his fellow said when he was falling through the air off his roof in Berlin, he didn't feel anything pulling him down. He didn't feel anything until he hit the ground. <laughs> then he felt plenty. <laughs> so somehow something, Boeing, you know, comes out of, it's often out of left field. Like an, an image comes up. A face, an image, a, a phrase, a feeling, a mood, a tone, a colour, a, a vibration, a sound. Something comes up. Out of, seemingly out of nowhere, there is the the door opener, you know, and you didn't do it, and you didn't create it. So this is, uh, uh, you might say, if it is wisdom, it's the wisdom that is born by release, or is the herald of release. It's not something that is is mine. I can actually have or prepare. But so, you know. Now we also recognize things like, um, you know, letting go. It's very important. I learn to let go of something. I should let go of this. Now, actually, if you let go of something, if you let go of something, this is all well and good, but that isn't, that isn't letting go. That isn't real letting go. It's a kind of relinquishment, which is good and skillful, but it isn't letting go in terms of the third noble truth. Third noble truth, nobody let nobody lets go. There isn't somebody letting go. It happens. Yeah. Whereas I might think, okay, I'll let go. Uh, yeah, you know, four days without a cup of coffee now. Okay, I'll just let go of that, you know. <laughs> Whatever it is, you know, you kind of feel that wanting it and you know, just forget it, put it down. Yeah, that's 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 okay, that's good, but um, the letting go of objects is something we can do. The letting go of options is something we can do. We can decide to do, but the letting go of suffering isn't something we can do. Otherwise, we'd probably have done it by now. <laughs> yeah. Letting go of suffering isn't something. It happens. It happens when you've given up so the, the sequence of the development how wisdom is developed and it's the same trajectory in line with viveka viveka disengagement viraga dispassion niroda resting or ceasing and vosaga which means complete giving up complete relinquishment so that's that's the development of wisdom it doesn't mean getting more intelligent or more smart or having more ideas the development of insight wisdom is on that line so none of them sound particularly wise do they but you've got to understand wisdom is not concepts it's the ability to handle concepts bits of string macaroni babies it's the ability to handle 
That's the wisdom. You you can handle concepts, and that's conceptual wisdom. But the wisdom isn't in the concept, it's the ability to handle. So this trajectory gives us a kind of sense of the quality of the handling. So the first sense of handling is we just handle by disengaging our involvement to a sense of I'm holding this in a wider perspective, getting the whole picture of it. Viraga means I start to withdraw my emotional pressures, my excitement, my agitation with this. I'm becoming moving more towards equanimity rather than, oh, how long is this going to go on for? I can't stand this another. Surely this shouldn't be happening to me. What did I ever do in my past life or something or the other? You know, it's that sense of the, the calming and the cooling of the emotional energies, you know, through the increasing sense of uh, realization this is a phenomenon, this is, everybody gets this. So we, the more that this sense of viraga, viveka means increasingly the quality of attar, of self and identification, is augmentingly decreased. You know, it's in, it's 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 de, you know it's decreased as you do that. So the development of wisdom, the movement along this line, is towards a diminution of identification, the in it, the being it. So viraga is we start to become even less emotionally in it, and we begin to see with that the impermanence, the flowing, the changing quality of that Vedana, that feeling, that thought pattern, and so forth, that panging as this. And we, hmm. Niroda is when the ceasing or resting, you've come to a complete poise, pause with that. You're able to pause with that. And because of that, the, the whole uh, experience starts to clarify because you're not putting any more volitional energy into it. You know. So this means, you know, when I'm, when I'm doing my suffering, um, you know, first of all, first I don't think I'm suffering, I think it's somebody else's fault, you know, something somebody else is doing wrong or the weather or whatever. I'm not suffering, it's, it's just these other situation around me is unpleasant, that's all. And people aren't being as nice to me as they should be, but I'm not suffering, there's nothing wrong with me. It's just... Well, these inconsiderate people I live with don't <laughs> give me the treatment I need and so on, but not me, nothing wrong with me. I'm fine. And then, well, yeah, actually, I'm suffering. So as you come out of this sense of just that it's all blurred together, the first thing is it tends to become the world is, is the problem or what happened to me or the past or whatever. And then as we diff- as we get, it becomes... The me, the suffering. Mm. You know. So the, then I don't, then I think I'm ashamed. I shouldn't be suffering after all these years. I don't want to be suffering. How do I stop suffering? Uh, when, when you're a professional healer, then it's even like um, discredit to suffer. It's not just painful. It's also a sign of you didn't really do it, did you? <laughs> You know, you're selling snake oil, it doesn't work. <laughs> so it's not just painful, it's also ignominious. <laughs> so it's a kind of, yeah, okay, right. 
and then so well, there is suffering, and that's the first that's the first step. There is this, you know, there is this sense of this agitation and stressing. So that's the first sense of disengagement. Mm. Oh, there it is, and the storyline of why and who and what I should be and so forth. Have kind of stepped back from that just to experience a sense of grief or frustration or pain or hurt or whatever it is. Uh, it's that. Yeah, that's the viveka to see it like that. And then, yeah. the virago, it means there's more acceptance of that, less uh, we recognize that this process of feeling lonely or lost or betrayed or whatever itself has got a kind of moving, flowing quality to it. And you can kind of witness, hear the sound of that, hear the cry of it without getting bogged down in it. You keep your your sense of being the listening, being the witness, being the watcher of that. Mm-hmm. Ceasing is as 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 that develops, then as that movement develops, as that trajectory develops of 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 understanding a phenomenon actually as it is, then with the de- declining of the sense of self, the ceasing of the identification, is the, the key that means that piece of suffering can now move on. There are things that are said that are hurtful or, or can be hurtful. I was hurt you know, by this or that or the other. As long as I'm saying, well, yeah, but everybody, you know, so what, I've got over it, I'm bigger than that, or it doesn't really matter. It hasn't, been, hasn't gone through the heart. It's been compensated for. And if I feel ashamed, I shouldn't be suffering, sure, I shouldn't be hurt, I'm a big boy now. Um, that shouldn't bother me. Yeah, but it is. Uh, so you get come back to that, and the, the, the sense of either the self being in the suffering or the self that shouldn't be suffering is relinquished. So with that, there's a, there's a sense of the openness to, to feel the feeling as a feeling, and then it can move, it moves through the heart. So the ceasing of the sense of self is what allows that to, to move, and it moves straight through the heart. Sometimes it's a kind of shift, of some sort. Uh, relinquishment is the final development or the final uh, ripening of the wisdom, which is, you know, there never was a, se- a self to, you know, understanding that you don't have to keep generating a self who is liberated even, who's got over it. Because as soon as you think, oh, well, I've sorted that one out, that was easy, yep, knocked that one on the head, then you set yourself up for the next bout of suffering. <laughs> you know, you're preparing the ground to do some more. So relinquishment is just that openness to, you know, allow the process to continue. This is how the that movement develops. So you know, with the cultivation of wisdom, it is this increasing capacity to 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 differentiate, to even see the, even see some of the details in an objective way. 
you know, this causes that, this generates that, this is this supports this. See in that even in detail, but no longer in the sense of of self. We we contemplate it actually as it is, and that's that's the wisdom that generate that is supports the process of release. So this is how you develop in 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 uh, daily life. This is how you develop in meditation. Wisdom only goes one way. That's that's the way it goes. So I'll conclude there for this evening. Thank you for the question. <clears throat> Hope I was loud enough tonight. So I don't really like speaking loud because I think the people in the front front row think I'm shouting at them. <laughs> but there you go. Can't please all the people. <clears throat> so now time to uh, either if you'd like to continue to practice here or to sit here or do some walking. Now it's time to do as you see fit. <clears throat>